This is the Unstacked Startups Podcast, where we have real conversations with tech founders, leaders, VCs, and early employees of top technology companies. This is Elon Sachs. Hey, Unstacked community and audience. I'm really excited about our guest today, not only because she shares my McGill University roots, but because she is actively shaping the future of tech and startups. So Unstacked community, I'm truly excited to have Amelie Fokoutour on the podcast today. After completing her undergrad from McGill, Amelie went on to complete her MBA at Harvard Business School, which set her on her trajectory to the world of consulting at Boston Consulting Group. But she wasn't your ordinary consultant. She ended up leading the innovation and creation of new ventures in fintech, healthcare, and consumer tech at BCG Digital Ventures. Fast forward to today, Amelie is a partner at Diagram Ventures, a venture fund molding the next great technology companies in fintech, Web3, and climate tech right from inception. In my mind, Amelie has one of the coolest jobs in the world. Amelie and her team are cooking up the ideas, doing the research, and designing the innovative startups of our future. We touch on numerous topics throughout the conversation, namely building startups from scratch, assembling the right founding teams, the future of climate tech, as well as her views on diversity within tech and startups, where she is an inspiring force. So let's get started. I'd like to welcome Amelie Fokoutour. Amelie, maybe maybe you could give a little bit of context on the diagram model because it is it is unique. You know, you guys are ideating, but that's really just step one. Maybe you could provide a bit of context. We call ourselves a venture studio. Um, what that really means is structurally we're we're a venture capital fund. So our, our reason to exist is really to invest capital in early stage startups. But the way we do it is a little bit differently. And the studio model essentially uh, refers to the fact that we invest mainly in companies that we create internally. Uh, we start with a thematic or a problem in the market or a timing catalyst uh, that's happening that we think might generate opportunities. And we really do all the work that you know, entrepreneurs sort of always do when they start a company. A lot of times it's work that they might do, you know, informally kind of in the garage, testing ideas. We really do all of that. We speak to a lot of prospective customers. We speak to experts. We really make sure we understand the problem. We conceive of a solution to that problem of a business model of a go-to-market plan. Uh, and once we're convinced, we make an initial investment in that company. So we actually create the company first. Uh, typically that investment is in the kind of low hundreds of thousands uh, that gives us runway to start building the product, to start piloting, acquiring customers. And then at that point we match the idea with a founding team. That's usually a CEO, uh, a technical co-founder, and then sometimes a, a third person that could be a product or a business development, depending on the, the, the idea itself. Um, and they take it from there. Um, and, you know, really the important thing is we don't anticipate, we never think that we've solved everything. We're not trying to give them a really prescriptive roadmap because, you know, even if we have a good idea at the start, things change almost certainly the market will develop in a way that we couldn't have anticipated. You know, these are all fast developing spaces. Um, but what we really, really focus on is making sure that we understand that pain point. 
we validate that product market fit and we sort of get them started on a path where there's real demand for what they're going to build. So uh, what I just heard from you there is Diagram Ventures and you within Diagram Ventures, the, the venture creation element of Diagram Ventures is very much a co-founder to multiple early stage startups. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's very fair to say. And I would say um, the way we think about it and, and sort of how we work with our founders is really we wear two hats, right? So we do wear the investor hat because again, we're usually the first check-in at the pre-seed. We also usually either lead the seed round or participate in the seed round. And we represent our LPs on the board. And you know we are an investor in, in each of the companies that we start, but we are also a co-founder of those companies. And um, I would say beyond the initial phase, the work that I described that my team does, the way we work with founders, after the company is launched is also impacted by that unique structure, that unique mandate that we have and is different, I think, than most early stage funds because of that, right? So um, there's always a partner that um, takes a seat on the board, but beyond that, we work essentially really, really closely with the founders. So it's very rarely a situation where, you know, We'll see you next quarter at the board meeting. It's usually more like a daily or, you know, multiple times a week interacting and really helping them on everything from the initial team building, um, refining the product roadmap, the go-to-market strategy, transitioning sort of all of the knowledge and work that we've done and really being very closely involved in the business so that we can help them at key junctures to make the best decisions for, for, for them and for the company. That sounds to me like there's a, you know, a de-risking element to building some of these startups. You know, in, in some ways, what I heard from you is that you're going out, you're doing research on trends, on markets, on potential problems to solve. And there's an infrastructure with diagram ventures and there's the capital element sure but can you talk to me a little bit about that de-risking piece because that's that's unique de-risking i think can be a very like mythical concept you know there's never a zero risk but essentially the more you talk to customers the more you really take the time to validate is someone willing to pay for this do i really understand what problem i'm solving you know are the unit economics going to make sense like it just doing the work to figure out if if this is likely to 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 be viable, right? Um, the second thing is maybe in a way more strategic, perhaps, or maybe more difficult or more unique in our model is really okay. Beyond just having done a good job at the core work, is there anything we can do that would give this company, this team, an unfair advantage in the market? Um, and that could take many forms. It could be something like we have a first customer or first customers built in that we've already secured and that are willing to spend time to help us shape the product to make sure that we build something that really suits the needs of the market. It could be a distribution partner. It could be a talent advantage, but basically something in the strategy of how we've set up the company that 
is going to be an accelerant to building the product or taking the product to market. And that would be hard to replicate. I kind of think of you, Amelie, as, you know, you're, you're back there, you're cooking up these, uh, you know, when we're talking about venture back tech startups, like often these audacious ideas and you're back there and thinking, Hey, what, what are we going to build? What are we going to, can you take me through, or maybe take me back to your lab, you know, and how these ideas kind of take shape. We have a process for how we do this, but I think these are ingredients that I'm sure if you were to speak to, you know, most successful founders, they've done some combination of this, right? It's really like validating your opportunity and then thinking about how can you help yourself be, be successful and differentiated. Listen, this is what I always say. It's not about the ideas. It's about the problems. That's really the, the best thing I, I, I can say is as much as we say we're looking for ideas, we're not looking for ideas. We're looking for problems and where it starts is always, and you know, we are, I would say, you know, borderline religious about this because it's just, it's, it's really critical. The first step is always understanding the pain point, the customer, who's feeling that pain point, you know, not just the organization, but who in the organization and what is that person's objective and what is their reality? And I think if you stay too focused on looking for an idea, you can be very enamored with, oh, well, we'll just take, you know, this cool feature that this company or this platform has and, you know, we'll mash this with that. And it's like anyone can come up with an idea, right? The important thing is, does that solve someone's problem? Is that a top three problem? Are they willing to pay to solve that problem? How much? And, you know, what's it going to take to to get them on board? Anybody can have an idea. And it's another thing to, you know, um, for there truly to be a problem that a business can be built around. And then maybe I can take your comment, which was, you know, we're less about ideas, more about, you know, the problems and building a business around them. I think the next step in some ways at this early stage is, okay, now how do we build an absolutely amazing team? What DNA do you look for when you're helping put together an early stage startup? You know, what are the, what are the most important things to you in an early stage founding team? At a super high level, the things that are the most important to us are really things like storytelling. You know, is this someone who can communicate a vision, who can inspire other people to follow their vision um, and who can communicate clearly uh, even when, you know, conditions are rapidly changing, the ideas rapidly changing. Um, talent. So ability to find great talent, knowing what great talent looks like. Uh, you know, it sounds simple, but is this someone who's going to be able to identify a players, uh, know where to find them and, and be able to, to retain them and motivate them. No one can do everything on their own. Right. So this is super, super important. Uh, and then I would say resilience and grit is another big component. So as I've said many times, yes, we do a lot of work up front, but that doesn't mean the journey is linear for any of our founders uh, or any founder in general. And so really being able to work through those challenges and be motivated by 
sort of a, a desire to succeed that's strong enough that you're going to be able to see past those tough moments. Um, that's really on this at the CEO level, some of the key things that we look for. The interesting thing is how do you how do you identify that in someone, right? So we've developed over the years a bit of a process for, I guess we call it vetting, um, but it's it's obviously very different than a, a job interview, right? But it's really getting to know people and understanding how they they fit in that framework. And then we really think of complementarity of the team. So, you know, sometimes um, some of those traits could come from a technical co-founder or, you know, it's really about balance and, and how do we find the right team fit for that specific venture. I got to ask, given the time right now in this era of AI, are there changes to team building or do you, do you notice skill sets changing or how has AI changed the early stage startup? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Listen, AI, you know, could be integrated into most software products, right? Like we're, we're at the end of the day, we're building most of our companies are kind of at the core software companies. And oftentimes there's layers of either optimization of the product or insights that the product could deliver to its customers. There's tons of applications for AI and almost everything that, that our founders are building. Um, and to me, it's almost become something that is sort of an expected skill set. It doesn't mean every CTO needs to be an expert in AI, ML, et cetera, but just data in general is such an important component of most products that we're building today that if they don't have that awareness, it could mean a missed opportunity for a new feature or something interesting that the company could add on. Um, so that's, I think, one way it materializes itself is it's sort of become like a ubiquitous capability that you want to at least be able to identify how it could be pertinent to your product and to your customers in my mind, right? It's interesting. As I think about how I use AI today, you know, at Stacked SP and in my business, I find it very helpful to, um, as a first line of defense, as you know, some, someone who I can brainstorm with, you know what I mean? And bounce ideas off of and use as a sounding board and, um, you know, and then obviously take that to mentors and advisors and, you know, should you go in this direction? Should you go in that direction? I can imagine with the, the uncertainty of building an early stage startup and all the ambiguity that that founding team needs to fight through, um, it's just such a powerful tool that can hopefully get them to market quicker um, or help them come to places faster. But based on what you're saying, I think you're an earlier adopter of AI than I am, because to be honest, I, it's a good question. We, you know, I don't know that we've thought that much about how it can help us and the founders in 
those first few weeks and months, you know, but it's an interesting thought experiment. I mean, I've used it for basic, th- you know, I've done what everyone, like run the memo through ChatGPT and, you know, things like this, but um, will it fundamentally change how we find problems or how we, you know, it's a good question. I don't have the answer to it, but it sounds like you're, you're more of a power user than, than I answer. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure, <laughs> but uh, it'll be very fascinating to see how things shake out over the next number of months and, and years. Amelie, I, I think about a lot of, you know, early stage founders and they're starting to ideate, they're starting to, you know, um, uh, start their journey. Why would an early stage founder or an early stage founding team come to Diagram and want to work with you guys? Why, what makes you guys the, you know, partner of choice for an early, an early founder? Listen, I think of it as in sort of different buckets. Um, the, the first is I do think we aim to provide them a head start. And the work that we do, you know, it takes us six to nine months. You know, we, we go through a lot of ideas that don't make it. It's kind of a different skill set to be analytical and to be thinking about ideas in a way that is more what could kill this. And I found that most really talented founders have an easier time actually wearing a different hat, which is how could this succeed? So that's one piece, the the kind of dearest idea. But I think that's not enough, you know, because that's sort of theoretical. It really has to come with a practical head start. So that notion of unfair advantage that we talked about and more support along the way, right? So how will having our one of our partners on the board really help them? What's the fit there? Um, and uh, how will the broader ecosystem help them with things like commercial intros, you know, intros to the right advisors being surrounded by the right people? It's really hard to start a business. And I think doing it with us doesn't make it easy, but... I think especially for folks who've been through it before, you know that there's those moments where you're kind of on your own. And with us, you know, our goal is that you're, you're not on your own, right? You always have a partner and you have a whole platform, a whole ecosystem, the extended cigar holdings platform that is really at your disposal to help you with the right connections, the right support and serve as an accelerant. Yeah. And that final piece is, so important. There's really a whole ecosystem, a whole community behind this. And um, for those who, you know, um, who don't know Amelie or the rest of the team at Diagram, Amelie's not the one to, you know, go and say, hey, how great they are. But uh, it really is a great group of, of individuals and, and um, people you, you, you certainly want around the table. Well, thank you. I'm very grateful that I get to do this every day. And I would say the most rewarding part is it's definitely teamwork. Um, And also seeing when the founders come on board and they take ownership and shape, you know, what we've started to work on, that's really a treat because it kind of takes a life of its own at that point. So, Amelie, as I think about your work at Diagram Ventures, I know a lot of the 
startups and the businesses that you guys have been involved in have been, you know, to some degree, fintech focused. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that there's a bit of a push into the climate tech space. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about why that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so more to come, more to be announced on our, our new climate tech project, but you're absolutely right. This is something that we've been working on. And listen, the reason behind it is we always had the ambition to really create companies, but also create a new way to create companies, um, which is this venture studio approach that we've discussed. And I think we're at a point now where we're always learning, we're always getting better every day, but we're starting to have a recipe that, you know, has scaled. We're at almost 20 companies now. There's clearly something there that that's working and that's resonating in, in the market with founders and et cetera. Um, and we started to think about how do we build on, on, on what we've been doing for the last seven years and how do we expand? Uh, and an obvious way to do that is to think about other sectors. Um, and really climate tech, I think, jumped out to us as an area that was particularly exciting to explore for a bunch of reasons. Number one is, you know, personal interest. I think a lot of us see this as sort of the challenge of our generation of, you know, our, our kids generation for sure. Uh, and there's a lot of personal motivation to have an impact and think about how we can contribute to that. But also the, the market is at a point now that we think is particularly exciting where some of the core technologies that are required, like solar, et cetera, are now you know, widely available. A lot of innovations have now developed, costs have gone down in some of the fundamental technologies, et cetera. And now we're really at an inflection point where there's additional political pressure or you know, political incentives. There's... Uh, pressure from markets, there's pressure from consumers, and the technology exists to make a difference. And a lot of times it's really about how do you make that make sense for different stakeholders, like companies, like individuals in the system. Um, there's still a lot of problems to solve, but they're more second generation problems where it's less R&D intensive and it's more about business model innovation, in many cases sort of digital infrastructure that would help enterprises and consumers make changes to how they operate uh, and how to, they utilize those underlying sort of uh, innovations in their businesses. And we think that this is an area where we can play a really big role. Um, and I think um, last but not least, you know, one of the biggest challenges in climate tech and in my uh, recent experience is it's a macro problem. Climate change is a macro problem. This is really where our model can bring something unique um, and, and where I think we can help entrepreneurs find real problems that exist today that will also contribute materially to curbing climate change, um, but that you know solve a real problem in the market and therefore can be kind of economically successful. You know, to make this kind of personal, you know, I've uh, two children, under, you know, four years old. And for a couple of months this summer, they were blanketed in smoke in the air from the forest fires. And, um, you know, you see uh, across the entire world, across 
numerous geographies the effects of climate change today. And I think it's, um, you know, think out 30 years, right? And very much the work that we do today, um, and that can be small, that could be large, that could be a venture fund like Diagram, you know, making it a part of their focus, um, you know, the more that we can all do, the better we can hopefully make it for the for the next generation. Really, what we need to do to start to have an impact on climate can be done with technologies that exist today. Um, and a lot of times it's, as I said, about how do we make those technologies more reliable? How do we package them in the right business model? How do we reduce the risk of adopting those technologies? And a lot of those kind of second generation problems can be solved with, you know, some combination of, of software or, or, or kind of digital infrastructure. Um, so that's really where we want to play. Uh, that's really where I think we can be relevant and we can have an impact. Amelie, as I think of you as a female partner at a reputable venture fund, that's kind of rare. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a predominantly male world, but you've, um, you know, through sweat and hard work and, and everything else have gotten to the place that you are today, you know, were there challenges that you faced how, how did you overcome them? Um, how did you break into this? In my day-to-day, you know, I don't really feel uh, any different or I don't, I don't feel that it's a, a hindrance to me or, you know, you, you know, I, I'm just doing what I'm doing. And, and when I look around and I, I realize, I see, you know, that maybe there's not a lot of people who look like me who do what I do. I really think it comes down to, it's not a, it's not a lack of desire. I think of venture funds, it's really systemic sort of deep rooted challenges that, you know, will take a long time to fix. I think the hirers mentality is starting to change, but in order to get to a point where the workforce is more even, we need to go back to the root cause and really think about why are there fewer candidates? At least that's been our experience, even in recruiting for our own roles. Um, And, you know, for me, it really comes down to early education. What kinds of opportunities are young girls and young boys, you know, exposed to one, one organization that if you'll allow me, I want to plug because I think that the work that they're doing is, is really important is Technovation. Uh, Technovation is an organization that helps young girls basically develop basic coding skills. They build a mobile app over the course of a couple of months and they uh, learn to build a business plan around that app uh, and basically learn entrepreneurship. Um, and I think efforts like this are things that are going to make a real difference where we open kind of the eyes of, you know, more diverse communities early on in their lives so that they can then take all the steps that will enable them to be on the slate in 10 years and 15 years. Um, So 
that's sort of the way I see it. I actually think it's a great time to be a woman in venture or a, a woman in tech. I just think we need to get more young girls interested in those spaces so that, you know, there's a, a bigger community to, to sort of bring in to organizations in, in a couple of years. My take on this, and I'm curious to get your reaction to this, is that the more diversity of thought, the more diversity of perspective that an organization across all ranks of an organization has, I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think that is only to the benefit of that organization and propelling them forward. And it's, it's the right thing. And it's um, great for business is, is, is my, my take on this. No, absolutely. And especially in the line of work that we're in, I mean, we, I talked at length about all the work we do talking to customers, talking to users, really understanding their pain points. You know, if you're not able to put yourself in the shoes of some of those people, uh, your product or whatever solution you're coming up with is, you know, less likely to resonate with that population. And I think, again, you know, organizations like Technovation, but there's many others that really work on those root causes are, are the key, in my opinion. So we just have to be patient and encourage young people that come from diverse backgrounds to take an interest in, in those kind of rapidly developing areas of the economy, you know, so that they'll be positioned to succeed. Amelie, it was such a pleasure to have you on the Unstacked uh, podcast today. Really, really appreciate your time. I think there were tons of valuable insights for our audience and uh, sincerely want to thank you for your time. Are there any parting words of wisdom um, that you have at this time? Well, thank, thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure to, to chat with you. Um, I guess to summarize our, our whole conversation, I would say if you're a founder or you're building a product, talk to your customers, talk to your customers, talk to your customers, figure out their pain point. And then on the other topics, you know, think about how you can make your company a climate company. I think there's a lot more opportunities to contribute in a positive way than many of us think about on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's worth the thought experiment, at least if it's a problem that concerns you. Um, and I'm going to keep working on getting young girls excited about tech and hope to help your audience have, you know, uh, exciting uh, community to recruit from in, in a couple of years. Amen to that. Thank you, Amelie. Thank you for listening to the Unstacked Startups podcast. If you enjoyed this, you might enjoy our free monthly newsletter by Unstacked Startups called Founder Mail. Sign up for free at foundermail.substack.com. This is Elon Sachs.